You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. And ask a blessing over God's Word before we, before we go there. So uh, if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, Father God, thank you so much for your Word. Lord, I know that um, man cannot live on physical bread alone, uh, but that man needs every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we see Jesus coming down like manna, bread from heaven, coming to give us new life, to nourish us, to nourish our souls. And Father, we ask that you would nourish us this morning through the preaching of your word. Pray, Father, that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, and that you would cause them to be honorable in your sight, cause them to do good among your people this morning. We trust you to do that work in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16 is where we're going to be, but I'm going to start here. Um, every one of us struggles um, in many different ways, right? Um, one of the ways that I was thinking that we struggle, though, is that we struggle in the way that we see ourselves. We, we struggle to see ourselves the way God sees us. Um, the, the reality of the Scriptures is that as you study and as you follow Jesus, you, you learn, and I, and I think especially in Ephesians 4 here, you learn that God has called us um, to be like a, a part of a family, right? A part of a church family. He wires each of us uniquely, individually, and we make up that family. And then all of us collectively together do the work of equipping and building up one another, equipping and building up the church, right? The church grows as all of us, individual members, learn how to follow Jesus and serve one another. But in the midst of that, like when you, when you learn that, we still struggle with seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves and sometimes we think too lowly of ourselves. Um, we're either highly arrogant on the one hand or highly insecure on the other, right? This is like a pendulum swing. It's pride in the middle of all that really is what it is. But there are just, there's times. If you have me long enough, you'll, you'll find that there are days where I think too highly of myself and there's days where I think too lowly of myself, either arrogant or insecure. So I think there are times for all of us. I know there's times for me for sure where I, I, maybe I feel, think, I behave um, like I'm indispensable, right? Or there's other times where I might begin to think or maybe I feel or maybe I begin to behave like maybe I'm more useless. I just, it's just a massive pendulum swing. You could say I probably have issues. I do. Um, but I think we maybe all can identify with that in some way or another, but the gospel teaches us, the Bible teaches us that we are all valuable, we're all useful, we're all gifted. Every one of us has been wired and gifted in a very unique way. Um, every one of us is called to equip and build up the body of Christ. Uh, the body of Christ was not meant to be a spectator sport, it was meant to be a, a participatory thing as a family member. And so Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 speaks to some of this. Paul says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, 
When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now in saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are called to equip one another for the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ. But the problem is that we all struggle, right? That's what we kind of started off with. We either feel indispensable or we feel useless. Then we, then we live and act and behave based on those feelings. The question is, which one are you leaning towards right now? Um, where are you at this morning? Are you in that place where you kind of feel like, oh, I'm a little bit untouchable? Or are you in a place where you're like, I just feel really worthless this morning? Um, where are you at this morning in that? Because both of those pendulum swings are actually selfishly prideful. We're either pridefully arrogant or pridefully insecure. In fact, I think the next slide should have a little bit of a graphic for you that would be helpful. We're either pridefully arrogant or we're either pridefully um, insecure. And that's the pendulum swing. Um, but the opening verses of our text kind of demolishes this for us. Um, it reminds us that each and every one of us receives gifts from God. Paul says grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every one of us has been spiritually graced. That's one way that you could say it. We've been spiritually graced, spiritually talented, gifted, or enabled by Jesus to be a valuable, working part of the body of Christ. That's the teaching that Paul brings to us. Regardless of your background, Regardless of your current circumstances, you have been uniquely wired by Jesus to serve other people with your God-given talents, gifts, and abilities. And yet, as I keep saying, every one of us struggles. We struggle with the power of Satan's sin and the world, right? Um, Satan lies to us. He accuses us, whispers to us. He's a liar and the father of all lies. There's no truth in him. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sin tempts us, enslaves us, causes us to live in the dark, causes us to live destructively. The world, the world calls out to us, it distracts us, calls us to follow the pleasures and the, de the desires and the pursuits of the world, which then distracts us from living in ways that God wants us to live. The consequences of following Satan, sin, and the world, some have called this an unholy trinity. Um, consequences of that can be spiritually devastating on individuals, families, and entire churches, entire communities. But the good news in this passage is that Jesus 
beat Satan's sin in the world. Jesus beat Satan's sin in the world with two sticks, three nails, right? He hung on that cross. He was victorious over Satan's sin and the world. Paul says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He took Satan's sin and the world into captivity and then he seated himself on the throne of heaven. As he sat down in victory over our enemies, he gave gifts to every person in his kingdom. He didn't just remove our enemies, but he also gave us gifts. See, and, and, and regardless of what you've struggled with, whether you struggle with sexual sin or inappropriate relationships or greed or secrecy or dishonesty or anger or, or whatever it is, the gamut is huge. Whatever sin it is that you struggle with, whatever ways that you've seen that Satan has had a foothold in your life, the truth of this passage is that Jesus at the cross beat your enemies and then he gave you gifts. He gave you gifts and then he gave you to others in the church family so that we might serve one another and love God and love people and bring glory to God in the midst of that. The bottom line is that what God does throughout the scriptures is a work of redemption. And in that work of redemption, he then calls you and I after redeeming us. And he says, man, now that you're mine, now that you belong to me and you're part of the family, now we get to jump in this thing together. It's, it goes back to the Great Commission, right? It's a mission, but it's a co-mission. It's a together thing. But God calls us, enables us, wires us, gives us everything that we need. Bottom line is that Jesus went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he shed his blood. His body was broken horrifically. And the reason that he did that is so that you and I could be free from the power of Satan, sin, and the world, right? Those are the barriers in our lives, Satan, sin, and the world. Those are the big categories that restrict us or prevent us from serving God and from serving our brothers and sisters in Christ. So your old purpose was to serve Satan, sin, and the world. That was your old purpose before Christ. Your old purpose was to serve yourself, right? Now, as you are part of the body of Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, you have a new job, a new purpose. Your new purpose is to serve God, to bring glory and honor and attention to God. We are called to know Jesus intimately and then make him known universally. this purpose or this job that, uh, that I'm referring to would be something that we commonly refer to as the ministry. A ministry is not something that is relegated to the seminary graduate or the extremely gifted or the paid staff person. And every person, according to the scriptures, who follows Jesus is a minister with a unique set of talents, gifts, and abilities. And this is why Paul says that when each of us is working properly, we make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's in verse 16. So your talents, your gifts, and your abilities were given to you so that the body of Christ could become a growing and thriving representation of Jesus in the world. But what does that look like? That's a question. What does that look like for the body of Christ to grow and to thrive? For us as a church family? What does that look like for you as you are a part of a church family? 
What does this look like for us to grow and to thrive together? Um, Paul says that God gave spiritual gifts to each of us, right? And then he gave each of us to one another so we might help each other grow. He says this. This is in verse 12. It says, we're called to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. And there are two words in that verse that I want us to focus on for the next few moments. Um, The word equip and the word building. The word equip and the word building. Number one, we're called to equip each other for the work of ministry. Now, the word equip simply means to furnish or to fit completely. Uh, Imagine moving into a home, okay? If you move into a home that didn't have furnishings, no couches, no chairs, no dishwasher, no refrigerator, that home would not serve the purpose it was created for, right? Because it's not furnished, and it's the same with us. Like, we were created with a purpose to love God and to love people. And if we're not equipped or furnished or fitted completely, what we're going to do is do a poor job of walking out this calling. Uh, This last week, Christy and I were in Colorado uh, for a retreat. Took one of my motorcycles on uh, a trailer. uh, And we got to the mountains and rode all over in the mountains, and it was beautiful. It's the first time for us riding around the mountains. Uh, we had a great time together, spent a lot of time together. We needed that. It's, probably, it's been two years since we got away together without kids and, and for not a ministry purpose. So, um, and so we just had a great time together for three, four days, and then we're coming back. We're coming out of the mountains, and uh, we came down into Denver. We were in Breckenridge, came down into Denver from Breckenridge, and the tire on the trailer went flat. Um, so you could, just, you could see in the rearview mirror that the, the trailer was just bouncing up and down like crazy. Um, and so we, we limped it off the interstate and into uh, this massive um, mall-type area, huge parking lot. And um, um, we went looking through the, the trailer and the, uh, uh, the Tahoe looking for a jack and a tire iron. And to our horror, realized that both the trailer and the Tahoe were not equipped with uh, a tire iron or a jack. And so what ensued from that point forward is roughly four to five hours spent traipsing around Denver looking for a new jack and a new tire iron and a place that could either A, repair the tire or B, give us a new tire, um, which you would think in a city the size of Denver would be a lot easier than it was, but it was a lot harder than you'd think it was. Um, and uh, um, we finally did find some of those things, went back. It was like 45 minutes to an hour or so in, in just the searching process. We came back, and the trailer and the bike were gone. Um, they towed the trailer and put it in an impound yard. Um, and I'll just be honest, I wasn't the nicest guy when I called these people. Um, and uh, we did get it back. Uh, we did get a tire. Um, and we did get it all fixed up and got out of town. But it costed us uh, roughly four to five hours uh, 280 bucks total in towing fees and tire repair, um, not to mention the $50 or so for a jack and a, and a tire iron, all because the Tahoe and, uh, and the trailer were not equipped with these things. Uh, this, is, this is kind of a picture of what it looks like when, um, when we're not equipped and, and when we refuse to do the work of equipping as well. Creates a big mess, costs extra time, costs extra money, not to mention how frustrating it is, right? Um, the church was designed to be a family that works together. The call to equip others for the work of ministry doesn't just fall on the paid pastor or the paid staff members. 
I think we get that a lot here because as a church plant, it's pretty hard for us to try to follow in that. Um, the work of ministry lands on us as a family. Um, the church was not designed to have one employee that does all the work for its customers or shareholders. That's an American pipe dream that got piped into the church. That's not biblical, okay? The church was designed to be a family that faithfully equips each other for the work of ministry. But how do we do that? Um, how do we do this work of equipping one another? Uh, you might look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. I don't have it on the screen for you, um, so you'll have to look for it in your Bible or, or, or on your app. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Um, what I did was when I started looking at this word equip and this other word build, I just kind of went to some other places in Scripture looking for the same word, trying to find like, trying to bring, bring meaning to what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. I think he gives great descriptors moving forward of what it looks like as we are equipped and as we are built and as we do ministry. Um, but what does it really mean to equip one another? Well, um, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says this. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Catch that, that the man of God may be complete. And what? Equipped for every good work, right? So this word equipped and equip um, in both of these passages seems to connect. There's a completeness about what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. He wants us to be mature, right? No longer children tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. No longer children who are given into human deception, right? Um, so he's saying that in Ephesians, so it seems like this complete, mature feeling also makes its way into this Second Timothy passage. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, what, what are the good works you think he's talking about? What do you think? Equipped for every good work. And what is it that does the equipping? The Word of God is what does the equipping. Right? It's the Bible. It's this right here that does the equipping work. The primary way we equip one another is by getting each other into the Word of God. This is why studying the Bible together is so important in the life of the church. Why it's so important in the life of every Christian as an individual and then in community. And listen, I think we talk about this a lot. It's not just about learning knowledge so that you can win the debate tomorrow and hit your buzzer faster. It's not about that. It's about true experiential knowledge where you experience the presence of Christ as you read your Bible. When we study the Bible individually and in community, we are literally equipping each other to do what? To love God and to love each other. That's what we're doing as we study the Bible. That's the theme of the Bible all the way through. You can hang all of the Bible on that one word, I think. And our authority doesn't rest in human intelligence or human logic. I think that's a problem today. I think it's always been a problem. We try to let our authority rest on human authority, human intelligence, human logic. Our authority rests in the written Word of God because the Word of God is perfect and it's true. It's the only objective and trustworthy source for teaching one another, rebuking one another, correcting one another, and training one another in godliness. Now, the implication of this is that this is what Paul expects to be happening in the church, is that we would actually rebuke one another. Who likes to be rebuked? Not a single hand went up. Who likes to be encouraged? Not a single hand. Oh, okay, we got a few there. 
Good. All right, you guys are at least tracking with me. Rebuking is actually a piece of what we are to do with one another with the word open, right? A correcting one another, training one another. These are things that we don't like very much, but we're supposed to do that with the word of God. Our teaching, our rebuking, our correcting, our training one another. It's rooted in the authority of the Bible. And if it's not rooted in the authority of the Bible, then what's going to happen? We'll be ill-equipped. We'll be ill-equipped. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 is another passage. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. It says, May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may what? Do his will. Hmm. So this, this idea of equipping is that we might be equipped to do what God tells us to do. Let me read that again. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will. What the Bible does as you read it, as you read it and study it and get to know it and, and, and ingest it, is that it points you back to obedience in the gospel. Always. The Bible always reminds us that without Christ, we are ill-equipped. That with, without Christ, we are incomplete. That without Christ, we are not furnished. But with Christ, the Bible teaches us that with Christ, all things are possible through his work at the cross. See, God left the tomb empty. And that's not just a, a funny Easter story whereby we get to hand out flowers. God left the tomb empty. Jesus is our great shepherd. The blood of Christ spilled at the cross is what equips you to live obediently to God's word as you do the work of ministry. Now, the work of ministry, as you think about that, what is the work of ministry? It would be easy for us to think about things like setting up tables and leading worship and preaching and teaching and visiting, making hospital visits or greeting at the door, or setting up coffee, and those are all very practical, very needed things, all definitely aspects of ministry, right? A nursery, kids' church, leading gospel communities. All those things are all aspects of ministry, but there is a focus of ministry. And I think that the, 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 the primary work of ministry, regardless of where you serve at in your gifting, the primary work of ministry is to get each other into the Bible. It's not to make great friends. It's not to build another social club. It's to get each other's noses in the Bible together. We, we know that the Bible is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. <coughs> this is what happens when you get your nose in the Bible. One of, my, one of my primary callings, I would think it would seem obvious, um, but one of my primary calling as an elder and as a pastor is to preach the word of God and to pray. That's actually, for every pastor, that's the job description. 
it's those two words. Preach the word and pray for people. Um, you can separate that out a little bit more into a few other things as well. Um, but that, for, for, for me, is primarily my, my job description, right? So the, the thing that I love to do, the way that I'm wired and gifted, the things that I love to do with people is to open the Word with them and talk about what God's Word says uh, and then pray with them. Uh, one of the ways that I get to, I get to do this in, in various different ways, but one of the ways that I really enjoyed it was just last night. My wife is not here with us. Um, she's gone today. She's gone through Thursday. She's, she's attending a funeral in uh, Colorado. Her uncle passed away. Um, I'm just a painful story of what's happened over the last couple of weeks, but um, her family asked her if she would um, lead the service and if she would, would help to share some things from the Bible and share some things um, from her uncle's life. And so one of the great joys that I have is then sitting down with my wife and working through scriptures and talking through, like, how could this passage fit? But then at the end of the conversation, I think the most joyful piece is also reminding her that when you stand in front of people and you share God's word, it's not just you loading up your six gun and shooting at people with God's word. You've got to first turn that on yourself. Like for you to do that authentically, you've got to start thinking about how does what God put on my heart affect me? And how do I need to respond to what I'm reading in God's word so I don't just become some head knowledge geek, right? Like that's really important for us. And that's it's hard for me to do because I love my reading, I love my books, I love to talk, chop up theology. But over the years, the Lord has used this discipline of Scripture study and personal application um, to really radically transform my heart and my life. Because what's happening when I open the Bible is I'm standing in front of a mirror that sees everything in me. And it reveals things deep down inside of me that I didn't know were there. And then I have to deal with it, Right? Now, here's the problem. When I don't want to deal with it, what do you think I do? Run and hide. Stop reading the Bible, maybe. Right? Go do something that seems more fun. Um, so we're called to equip each other for the work of ministry through the regular study of God's Word. I think that the Christian should be equipped with ink stains on his or her nose from studying the Bible constantly. It's something that Spurgeon said, and I love that statement. It's a great picture of having your face in the Bible. I get calls sometimes from people who are like, hey, can you help me fix my marriage? Yeah, sure, you got a Bible? I don't really want to talk about anything else. Um, I get some really weird phone calls from people too. I mean, I get phone calls from people who are like, can you come give me a ride? No, I have a job. Sorry, that's not part of my job description. <laughs> um, can you come mow my lawn? Yeah, maybe. Um, you want to open the Bible? I can open the Bible with you because that's my job description. I get paid to do that. So it's a blessing for me, right? But every Christian is expected to walk this way. Every one of us is called to equip one another through the regular study of God's Word. I think that's the primary thing that we see in Scripture in terms of equipping. And then number two, uh, we're called to build up the body of Christ. Is that word build? Called to build up the body of Christ. Um, I'm about one and a half years old in uh, building up my physical health. For uh, most of my Previous 38 and a half years, uh, I lived in ways that were destructive to my physical health, okay? Um, my diet was out of control, uh, physical exercise, non-existent, uh, proper rest, foreign. Don't know what any of those things meant. And then roughly two years ago, my doctor sits down with me. He rebuked me, right? Challenged me. He warned me to get on top of my physical health. And the reason that he did that was because he had me and my family in mind. He literally said to me, hey... You're not going to be around much longer. You keep living this way. 
You're going to leave your wife and kids behind if you don't start taking care of yourself. That's a pretty solid rebuke. I quit eating so much red meat, <laughs> start eating more vegetables, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> so this is roughly two years ago. Um, you could say that what happened that day is I had to come into Jesus moment, right? Like, doctor disciplined me. That's basically what happened that day. Put me over his knee and gave me a nice spanking. That's what he did. And I deserved it, okay? 38 and a half years living recklessly and living destructively um, takes its toll. And that's basically what he said. He said, stop living destructively and start living constructively. To construct something is to build something. Agreed? Like used uh, the term uh, or the illustration Wreck-It Ralph, I think, with Stephanie earlier. And Wreck-It Ralph has a little buddy um, named Fix-It Felix. Um, So if any of you are like cartoon geeks, um, if you have kids, if you haven't seen it, you should just go watch it because Wreck-It Ralph likes to destroy things and Fix-It Felix fixes things. We need to be more like Fix-It Felix and a lot less like Wreck-It Ralph. Um, and that's basically what the doctor was telling me that, way, that day. And it's the same in the body of Christ. When, when we get saved and begin to follow Jesus, we are saved out of an old lifestyle into a new lifestyle. Old thinking patterns into new thinking patterns. Old desires into new desires. All the old desires, old thinking patterns, and old behaviors are still going to cling to you really tightly, and you are going to have to work hard to shake those things off, right? But if you don't do it, then what happens? You don't live constructively, you live destructively, and this is where you get really unhealthy churches and real unhealthy church members. And I think when Paul writes what he writes here in Ephesians 4, when he says that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, this is the picture that he has in his mind, a healthy church that is working together to build one another up and equip each other, right, through preaching, the teaching, the study, the ingestation, and the application of God's Word. So when you identify your your gifts, your, your talents, and your passions, and then you direct your energy towards serving out of those, we effectively build up the church with this focus on studying God's Word and knowing Jesus and hearing and preaching the gospel to ourselves. Some earlier in Ephesians, uh, Paul prayed, you might remember this, that he prayed that we would be rooted and established in the love of Christ, right? Chapter 3, verse 17. He also then, he, if you look to Colossians, and then you look to Philippians, and he tells the Colossians that Jesus is the one that we proclaim, warning everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. That's an interesting statement. Um, this is Colossians 1, 28, 29. We proclaim, we proclaim Christ, warning everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Look at that same theme of maturity. You'll see that back in Ephesians 4 as well. Paul is pressing towards a mature church, a spiritually growing church, a spiritually vibrant church, one that doesn't act like children, one that acts like adults, one that takes this thing seriously, one that doesn't think this is a great big joke in a new social club, right? This is what Paul's aim is. And so if you look at Colossians in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, it says, we proclaim Christ, warning everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. This is why I work, he says. I work so that other people will become mature. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. I love how Paul, when he says, man, I am working day and night hard to see this happen in us. 
But it's not by my strength or by my power. It's by his might and his power that I do that. Um, I love the way Paul does that. Um, He also reminds the Colossians later on um, in chapter 2. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. That same word, built and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He's saying, look, I'm teaching you this. I've taught you this. You need to follow this, right? Just as you were taught, root yourself, be built up in Christ, be built up firmly in the gospel. If you look over in Philippians, um, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's Philippians 1, 27, 317. That's where Paul basically says, you've seen me, walk the way you see me walk, walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel, that brings honor to the gospel, that doesn't dishonor the gospel. So I think as I've looked at all these passages, man, like I, the thought that I have in my head is that we're called to build up the body of Christ instead of tearing it down. Like think about the ways in which you tear the body of Christ down. Uh, Take this back to your own family context and think about your own immediate family or your extended family. You always got like the crazy uncle whoever that shows up at the family reunions, right? You know that guy's really destructive and everybody kind of either A, avoids him or maybe you corral around him make sure he doesn't hurt somebody. Like there's, there's always kind of the crazy uncle somewhere or crazy aunt somebody, okay? And then, and then you've kind of got like, you've got cousin so-and-so who just never shows up. Only time cousin so-and-so shows up is when they're going to get presents maybe. Like it's just, it's, it's just consumerism for them. They're not really part of your family. They're just pretending, right? Like that's hard. So I think you can apply some of these same principles as you work your way through that to the body of Christ. Like what's destructive? What tears it down? What builds it up? What's actually constructive? Because we are called to build up the body of Christ, not tear it down. And one of the ways that we do that, according to some of the passages I was reading, is we build the body of Christ by becoming saturated in the love of Christ. Like if you and I are saturated in walking in the love of Christ, our natural motivation, our natural inclination, I might say, would be to love each other really well. If, we're, if, we're, if we have like a fire hose of the love of Christ coming down from heaven into our spirit, then what comes out horizontally in our relationships and church family, our immediate family, and so on and so forth, is just a, it's love, right? So that's one way that I think we can be constructive rather than destructive, proclaiming the gospel to one another, warning one another against living foolishly. Like, I think it's, it'd probably be good if we all just learned to look at each other and say, you know what, that was really foolish. That's really foolish for you to live that way. That's really foolish for you to do that. Like, the wisdom of God's word would not direct you to live this way. Like, we should get better at saying that and hearing that from one another, I think. So we live in America, though, but... In America, you can't say things like that, right? Because you might hurt somebody. We've got soft skin. But watch your Facebook feed, because we can say anything about anybody on there, right? I just think, like, we, we should be much better at these things than the world around us. I think it'd be good for us to sometimes say, hey, man, like, quit being foolish and start living wisely, because 
The Bible says this. I think that's good for us to do. I don't think we do that enough. I think it's important for us to receive Christ and live like Christ just as we've been taught. It's important for us to build our lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel. It's important for us to imitate other faithful followers of Jesus. So again, I think the question for us has to be like, in what ways are you actively tearing down or, or destroying? Or in what ways are you building and, and just constructively participating in the body of Christ? So what, what do you need to do to be more faithful um, in building up the body of Christ? Um, by way of application, to just kind of wrap this up, um, application is all about believe and do. I think a lot of times preachers have a tendency to land on the more do part and forget that uh, application is, is both and believe and do. I know that I struggle with that because it'd be easier for me to give you five points to go do, and then you can walk away and go, man, I feel great about myself because I just did the five things that pastor told me to do. Well, I did four of them so I get a passing grade, right? And that's, that's not what, I don't think that, that the Bible's not like that. Um, we need to believe and rest and trust in the gospel as we obey God's word. Uh, so Philippians 4.9, uh, Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, should be on the next slide for you. I, I, I'll call these five keys to equipping and building just because key sounds really good, right? And there's a really cool... Um, um, graphic up there. You can go ahead and put it back up there. It was on the screen just a minute ago. Now it went away. There. Thank you. Five keys, right? Um, really five words from this text. Learn, receive, hear, observe, practice. Let me say it again. Learn, receive, hear, observe, practice. I believe that those five words from Philippians 4 and 9, let me read it again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen or observed in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a promise in that that we need to believe that the God of peace will be with you and I. Therefore, we need to do these five things, right? Learn, receive, hear, observe, practice. The question in the midst of us thinking about equipping and building up the body in the, of those five things is like, are you learning the word of God? Are you actually actively learning? Are you receiving the Word of God or are you rejecting it? Are you hearing the Word of God or are you plugging your ears? Are you observing the Word of God in action or are you distancing yourself from your brothers and sisters that have been doing that with you for so long, right? Are you practicing obedience to the Word of God? Obedience is simple. It's obedience, right? Like we, those of you that have kids, you know what this is like. Those of you that have been kids, which is all of us, we know what this is like. Obedience is hard, but obedience is obedience. And the reason we are to be obedient is not so that we earn or gain affection or love from someone, but because it keeps us safe and healthy. That's why God puts these things in place, because He loves us. Not because He wants us to earn His affection and love. He wants us to be safe and healthy. So the question is, when you're looking at the learn, receive, hear, observe, practice, if, if your answer is no to any of those, then the question is why? Why are you not learning the word? Why are you not receiving it? Why are you not hearing it? Why are you not putting yourself in a place where you can observe it in action? Why are you not practicing obedience to it? Is it just simply that you're not a believer and you don't believe? If that's the truth, because let me tell you, like being in a church and just reading your Bible, that doesn't make you a Christian. But if the desire for God's word is not there, then I, I almost begin to question, like, am I a Christian if the desire for God's word is not there? 
I watched a, a video from Francis Chan yesterday, and I, I wish that I could preach like him. I kind of envy him, and I can't preach like him. I'm me, um, and I'm happy in my own skin. But what he talked about for about eight minutes was just this tension between churchgoers that are going to hell. And he just talked about, like, I don't want to cause unneeded fear in Christians, but I also don't want to cause unhealthy comfort in non-Christians who think they are Christians. It's like, is there a hunger in your life for God's Word? Is there a hunger in your life to learn it, to receive it, to hear it, to observe it, to practice obedience to it? And if there's not, then I hope that you would stop today and repent and turn around because that's, that's really what needs to happen. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I don't love you, God. I don't want to hear from you. That's what you're saying. And, that, and if that's you today, that scares me that you would be in that place. And if you walk out of here still in that place, and you've heard the truth today, I don't want you to stay there. I care deeply about where you're headed eternally. And, and, and maybe it needs to be worked out. Maybe you need to sit down with someone and talk through why it is that you are lacking in your appetite to hear from your Father in heaven who loves you dearly and waits at the end of the road for you and gave his son at the cross for you. Why would you not want to spend time with that person? There are a couple barriers. I think the three barriers are Satan, sin, and the world, right? If the barrier is Satan for you, if it's the influence of Satan, all you can hear is his lies and his accusations, all the guilt and the shame that you hear from him. And so what you do is you wind up hiding from God because you think he's disappointed in you. But the truth of the scriptures and the truth of the gospel is that because of the cross of Christ, God is not disappointed in you. He's delighted in you. He's delighted in you. Like a husband who hasn't seen his wife for a very long time is delighted when she walks into the room. He's delighted in you. If your heart doesn't delight in spending time with God in His Word, then the, the, the natural connection is that if you don't delight in Him, you don't believe He delights in you. And you need to preach this to yourself. God delights in me. My Father sings songs of joy over me. Could be barrier number two, right? Sin might be the barrier. If it's not Satan... And let me just say, I think for all of us, it's probably a little bit of all three at least, but there's probably one primary one for you right now today. Might be a different one tomorrow. Um, sin, though, maybe the barrier for you is temptation and bondage to sin. All you can think about is the sin that you're probably going to engage in this afternoon or the sin that you engaged in last night. You feel helpless. You feel powerless because of that sin, that root in your life. The truth is, is that if you've trusted in Christ, then the reality is that you have the Spirit of God inside of you. You just haven't tapped into that relationship. And you're really anemic and sick. And that's why that sin still has a root in your life. All the power of the empty tomb is inside of you. Now your flesh may be weak, but the Spirit of God and the victory of the cross is right at your fingertips. And what you need to do here is you need to practice authentic confession of sin and confession of faith on a regular basis. I'm convinced that when Christians get out of the practice of confession of sin and confession of faith, and here, here's the way we do it. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I struggled this last week. Would you pray for me? Oh, 
God, I, I didn't have to confess any more than that. Right? That's, that's, we do that because we like to hide. I had a tough time this week. I got angry with my kids. Pray for me. Yeah. Okay, that's maybe a step closer, but we could just stay there. That's surfacy. You got angry with your kids? Really? I get angry with my kids every day. You think that's the issue you need to repent from is getting angry with your kids? Like, if I stay there, I'm going to die. Right? Because that's not the real issue. <laughs> the real issue is I love control. And that's why I got angry with my kids. So I need somebody to help get me back under God's control. Right? So my, my point is, is practice authentic confession and auth- of sin and faith. Let's, let's not placate this anymore. Let's, let's not just build uh, like little things around it, like, like somehow like just surfacy, right? Let's not stay there. Because it'll kill you. Stay there. Because that's the outcome of sin. It's death eternally. Sin and desire gets together, James says. The baby that it has is death. Serious, right? Let's not play around with sin. Third uh, would be the world, right? Last barrier would be the world. Maybe it's the barrier of the influence of the world you live in. It's, uh, it's worldly desires. It's, um, it's, worldly, uh, it's worldly pursuits. It's worldly pleasures. Man, they have that. Why can't I have that? Like the world runs around, does all those things. Why, why can't I have some of that? Like I want some of that, God. Why are, you, why are you restricting me and not giving me what I want, Right? And we start thinking like little children when it comes to desires of the world and things that we see happening in the world. And maybe this is it for you. Maybe you've lived your life straddling the fence, right? Just making yourself look nice and pretty on the outside. Even learned how to say some of the right Christian phrases. Even learned your Bible a little bit. Might even know all the books of the Bible, maybe. Might have some of that stuff down. You look really spit, shine, and clean on the outside. But on the inside, you're living an absolute wreck because you're living, you're straddling the fence. You're living in one side of the world with your other foot over here a little bit in the church, just enough to make you feel better once or twice a week. Twice a week if you're a really good Christian. Once a week if you're 50% good Christian, right? Follow me? Like, this is what we do. We set up all these crazy levels. What you're doing is you're living either hot or cold. And what God says is, you're like warm water in my mouth, I'm going to spit you out. That's scary. That's just a warning. Like, if that's where you're at this morning, I would not want to walk out of here in the same place. Like, if it were me, I just, I think if it were me, I'd want to get down on my face and beg God to save me from that. I think that's what I'd want to do. Because what I believe is that, like what um, the preacher last week, Bobby, preached, I think that what God wants for us is to walk into the deep waters of relationship with him. I think that's what he calls us to, is to walk away from the shallow waters of the world and run into the deep waters of his presence. For you, that might mean you need to walk away from some things. In fact, if you're going to resist the world, you're going to reject the world, that's what it's going to mean. And let me just say, you know, like, God left perfection behind to come down here to hop on a cross for you, and yet you can't leave some of your sinful patterns behind to pick up your cross and follow him. Why? Because you bought into an American version of Christianity that's not biblical. Do you want to stay there? Or do you want to be an active, growing, thriving, 
useful, valuable part of the body of Christ. Because that's, that's who Jesus says you are if you trust him. So I think the main calling from Ephesians is, um, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So I think what God is teaching us here um, is to equip ourselves with the Word of God, to equip others with the Word of God, and to build up the body of Christ with the Word of God. I think His calling to us is to learn the Word, and to receive the Word, and to hear the Word, to observe the Word, and to practice obedience to the Word of God. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would take my uh, um, really incomplete and imperfect attempt at preaching your word this morning and apply it to our hearts and lives. So I pray that there would be some here today, many here today, that would begin to follow you for the first time. Pray, Father, that you would cause repentance where there is sin, that you would bring healing where there is woundedness, and that you would strengthen where there is weakness. Jesus name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.